a little bit the concept of Torah Shabal Peh, the oral tradition of Torah. Um, we know we have a very broad Torah with all different uh, parts to it. In general, the Torah can be broken down into two general categories, and they are Torah Shabiksav and Torah Shabal Peh. Torah Shabiksav is the written Torah, um, which contains within it the five books of Moshe, Chamisha Chumshe Torah, together with all the books of the prophets and the writings. And that's what we know of as Tanakh. The name Tanakh stands for Torah, Nevi'im, Ksuvim. Again, five books of Moshe, the books of the prophets, the books of the writings. Together, there's 19 books of prophets and writings. So that together, Torah Shabiksav is 24 books, the 24 books of the Torah. Um, and then there is all of Torah Shabal Peh, all of the oral tradition, which has all different parts to it, whether it's Mishnah and Talmud and Halacha, Chasidus, um, Drush, all of that is part of Torah Shabal Peh. So one of the common questions that people have is, where does it come from, and how does it get to us, and who brought it to us, and how did it get from step to step, um, and how are we so sure about what we're saying, and where it's coming from, and so on and so forth. So I wanted to take a couple of classes. We'll see how many it will take. I said six. It might be less. It might be more. We'll see how detailed we go. Um, to discuss the formation and the transmission of Torah throughout the generations. That's the idea of these classes. And then we'll see. And from there we'll see how we'll go further. Um, okay, so let's go to the beginning. Klal Yisrael, we've always learned Torah. We're called the people of the book. Who gave us that name? People of the book. Actually, it's not from our best friends. Yeah. It's in the Quran. Yeah. <laughs> that's, the that's the first time we were called the people of the book. Um, but it's true. We are the people of the book, and we've always been studying. We've always been learning. And when I say always, I mean even way before Matan Torah, even way before the giving of Torah, we've already been learning. Um, the first yeshiva that we know of, that's talked about in the Talmud and talked about in Medrashim. It's called shame the Yeshiva of Shame and Aver. Right? Shame was the son of Noah. Right? Last week's parsha, we had Noah. Noah has three sons, Shame, Chum, and Yafes. Until um, today, we're called Semites. Right? Those who don't like us are called anti-Semites. Shame, uh, se Semites is from Shame, Sem, which is Shame, who's the son of Noah. The son of Noah, who was the greatest of the greatest of the sons of Noah, spiritually speaking, he was a tzaddik. The Torah tells us, and we had Cham, who was wicked. We had Yafas, who was okay, but Shame was a tzaddik, and Shame ultimately is the grandfather or great great grandfather of Avram Avinu. Um, Shame's great grandson is Aver. So when we say we, that there was the yeshiva of Shame and Aver, we're talking about a yeshiva of a of a great grandfather and his great grandson. But they were teachers of Torah. Now, Torah wasn't really given yet. So what, what were they teaching? So we know that even though the Torah wasn't given until Har Sinai, but these tzaddikim were, you know, the, in, in, the, in the Chumash itself, they communicate with Hashem. They're obviously people that have tremendous spiritual powers. And with Ruach HaKadosh, with divine inspiration, they're already learning Hashem's wisdom and will. Um, exactly what parts of the Torah and what was taught and what was revealed, we don't know. But they definitely learned um, Avram Avinu definitely learned um, in the yeshiva of Shem and Aver, of his grandparents. Um, so you have Avram, you have Yitzchak, and you have Yaakov. The Torah talks about Yaakov as being Ishtam Yoshev Ohalim. That he was a uh, person who sat in the tents, says Rashi from the Gemara, the tents of Shem and the tents of Aver. 
So again, well before the giving of Torah, we have the idea of study. That spiritual people always studied and they learned um, whatever was revealed to them. Um, famously, Yaakov then is going to travel to Mitzrayim. And that's the beginning of the saga, the creation of the Jewish people. And before Yaakov travels to Mitzrayim, what's the first thing he does? He sends Yehuda, right? The Pasuk says that when Yaakov hears that Yosef is in Mitzrayim, so Yaakov, ves Yehuda sholach lefonav goshna, um, that Yaakov sends Yehuda ahead to Goshen. So again, says Rashi from the Gemara, l'sakin lo beis Talmud, to have to make sure that there's a place of study. So again, before, before anything, before Yaakov Yisrael goes to Mitzrayim, he sets up a, some type of a yeshiva system in Mitzrayim. And then the Jewish people are going to be in Mitzrayim for 210 years. And one shevet, one tribe, their preoccupation is study. And that's the tribe of Levi. Right? And that's why it says that Levi was never really part of the shibud. Levi was never part of the um, bondage of Mitzrayim. They had permission from the Egyptians to study. So that all of the laws about bondage and slavery of Egypt did not apply to Shevet Levi. Which explains why Moshe and Aaron were in the palace, not at the palace, and talking to Paro. Why weren't they working? The answer is they were Levian. And Shevet Levi didn't have the law of bondage, of slavery in Mitzrayim. Um, even the Mitzrayim understood that there are those who have to study, there are those who have to teach, and that's their job. And that's what Levian did. That is an amazing concept. But yeah, I mean, the Mitzrayim, who were terrible people and everything, but they, they had a concept of religion. Um, the, the Torah tells us that everyone had to pay taxes to Paro, but not to Kohanim, right? not to priests. That was in Mitzrayim. So the Mitzrayim understood the concept of religion. They understood the concept of priesthood, of pe- of priesthood and people of religion. And it was Yaakov Avinu who already said that the tribe of Levi is going to be the teachers. Right? Back in, in um, before Yaakov passes away, in the last Torah portion of the Chomish and Vayichi, Yaakov blesses each one of the Shvatim. And to Shevet Levi, he says, Yorum Mishpatecha Yaakov, the Yisrael. It's going to be your job to teach, to teach the Mishpatim, to teach the Torah. Um, so that started from Yaakov Avinu's lifetime. It's interesting to note, and I'm going to say something that I don't really know the explanation for. But when Yaakov sent someone to Mitzrayim to open the yeshiva, he didn't send Levi. He sent Yehuda. That's an interesting concept. He sent Yehuda to open up the yeshiva, but Levi was going to be the ones who were going to be studying there. So it seems he needed the strength of Yehuda to open. Yehuda was the lion. Yehuda considered the king of the brothers. And yet, the one who was destined to be the ultimate ones who learned the Torah and to study and teach was going to be the Shevet Levi. Again, to the extent that even the Egyptians... Um, who made all these terrible decrees against the Jewish people, um, nevertheless, they said that Shevet Levi should remain free to be able to teach, to be able to study, and teach the Jewish people. And that's where Moshe and Aaron come from. Um, and really, Moshe is a direct descendant from Avram Avinu, right, through, she- through Levi. Because unless we have the seven generations of Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Levi, um, Kahas, Amram, and Moshe. And Moshe is the Dor Hashvi, the seventh generation, directly from Avram Avinu, from the tribe of Levi. So this, he continues with the study, the study of Torah and the teaching of Torah. And that brings us until Matan Torah, the giving of Torah. So we just 
that was a lot, a lot of years that we discovered in a very, very general way. But the the idea is just trying to show you this. This is really all before it becomes official, so to speak. Right? Nothing until the Torah is given to us by Har Sinai. So it's all prophecy and it's all tzaddikim who are somehow have this divine knowledge. But it was all always there. The Gemara says, "Miyamav leipaska Torah meaviseinu." That Torah was always there. We we're always studying. That was what defined us always as a nation. Is our continuous pursuit of the study of Torah. Okay, that brings us to Matan Torah. Now here comes a question that typically people become very uh, are surprised by. So when did we get our first Torah? Right? We have a Torah scroll. We all know what the Torah scroll looks like. We have a shul, we take it out for the reading of the Torah. Shabbos, Monday, Thursday. When did we get our Torah? So before people think, what's the typical answer for that? Shavuos. Shavuos, by the giving of Torah. But that's before we think, and that's the typical answer. But it's a very incorrect answer. We didn't receive a Torah scroll. Well, not even then. Let, let's let's see. Right. Let's see. And again, most of us we know the answers to these questions, but we have to think it out step by step. Let's see. What did we get on Shavuos? Shavuos, of course, is blinces. The, blinces. blinces. Of course, that's not. But that's a different class. <laughs> the, we got married. On Shavuos is. 51 days after the Jewish people leave Mitzrayim, right? We left Mitzrayim on the 15th of Nisan. That was Pesach. And that's called the birth of the Jewish people. The birth of the Jewish people is we leave Mitzrayim on Pesach. <laughs> Musical interlude. We were born. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. So we're born. We get out of Mitzrayim. We count down the days. The giving of Torah. The 6th of Sivan. Shavuos, which is what day of the week? Shabbos, right? The Torah was given to us on Shabbos of Shavuos. Um, and on that day, you know, with all, with all, you know, all the stories about Shavuos, and we wake up late, but finally we get there, and Hashem gives us the Torah. It's called the day of Matam Torah. He gave us there. But what did He actually give us on that day? He said the Ten Commandments. We heard the Ten Commandments that Sarah said libras from Hashem. Did Moshe get the actual luchos on that day? No, right? On that day, nothing was given, per se. It was told to us. We heard Hashem's voice for the first time and the only time in history as a nation. And actually, how many of the Ten Commandments did we hear from Hashem? Five. No, Don't the first two. The first two. Um, and then it was just too much for us yeah. because in the Midrashim, Hashem spoke. Our souls left us, and we died, and Hashem revived us, and He said the second commandment, and we died, and He revived us, and we came to Moshe and said, you know, this is really not good for the heart. I mean, dying and getting by, dying, it's, it's just, it's not a healthy situation, and it was a wonderful experience, but in Yiddish, in Yiddish yeah. they say, Genugshan. okay, we got the point, we got the message, this is too big for us. So the other eight Debrais we received from, obviously from Hashem, but through Moshe, in fact, in fact, the word Torah itself, the word Torah is the numerical value? 206. What? Hello. The word Torah is the numerical value 611, right? Tuf is 600 and Resh is 200, that's the 6. Um, and then you have the Vav and the He is 11. So Torah is 611, and we say, 
Torah Siva Lanu Moshe. Moshe gave us 611. How many oh. mitzvahs do we have? 613. Because so the first two we heard two. from Hashem. So that's actually in the word Torah. Um, the Gemara says, the Gemara says that we have 613 mitzvahs. 611 we get through Moshe and two directly from Hashem. So this, so this be- begins on the 6th of Sivan, on Shavuos. We hear the Ten Commandments. We had two from directly from Hashem, eight from Moshe, but we heard the Ten Commandments. That's it. After the giving of Torah event, I don't know how long it took, a couple of hours? I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't remember ever reading exactly a time period for that, but it was sometime on that Shabbos morning on the 6th of Sivan, we got the Torah. Done. Now what happens? So on the next day, which is the 7th of Sivan, which is Sunday morning, Moshe ascends the mountain. And he's going to spend there 40 days and 40 nights with Hashem. And then he's going to come down. Right? At the end of 40 days and 40 nights, what day does Moshe Rabbeinu come down for the first time around? On the 17th of Tammuz, which we fast nowadays, right? What does he see when he comes down on the 17th of Tammuz? The Egel, the golden calf. Now he comes down with the Luchos. Mm -hmm. He comes down with the first gift of Hashem, the greatest gift, the divine Luchos. They were made in heaven. They were inscribed in heaven. They're heavenly. They're miraculous. He comes down and he sees the Jewish people sinning 40 days after the giving of Torah um, with, the, with, the, uh, with the golden calf and all other types of sins going on. And he smashes the luchas, as the Torah tells us. Breaks the luchas. So now again, we have nothing. So we still didn't get anything. right? It's, still, it's, already, it's already Shiva Asr Batama, 17th day of Tammuz. It's 40 days after the giving of Torah. Hashem did give Moshe the luchas, but they were broken. What happens next? So Moshe spends a day, takes care of business, the Jewish people. And the luchos was just... Just the Ten Commandments. The the Ten Commandments. That was on the luchos. So forget about a Torah scroll. We're still dealing with the luchos. But they were written out. We would have just done something physical, but nothing... Exactly. You know, even if they wouldn't have done an Egel, what Moshe came down with was the luchos. That's it. But the luchos, those Ten Commandments are written out in full? Yes. Yes, the Ten Commandments, well, it's not like in the Shul, which is Aleph, Beis, Gimel, Dalet. It was written out. All the Ten Commandments so were on the Luchos. That's a lot of wording for the Luchos, but the Luchos were a totally miraculous thing. They were, according to the Mishnah and Pirkei Avos, the Luchos were created... From sapphire. From, yeah, but it was saying it was created on the eve of Shabbos, of creation. It's one of those ten things that Hashem created then as Shabbos was coming in. A totally miraculous type of a thing. Okay. That's a good question. Like, I'm just thinking. Like, how did it had to fit into the Aron. Oh, that's, it had to fit that's an the excellent answer. It okay. had to fit into the Aron, exactly. No, but it was seen that it was, it was those, I don't have the measurements in front of me. Um, it's miraculous how a person could hold it, can yeah. carry them. Yeah. Because sapphire, think of the, the weight had to be enormous. And I, I once heard equations of the weight would probably come to. Not something that it makes any sense that, that you can carry. Um, in fact, that might add explanation why Moshe Rabbeinu dropped them. But that's a, that's a <laughs> <laughs> delete that. I, I, I didn't. I didn't. Blue, I didn't blue, say that. Blue sapphire. Yeah. Like to be like like, like, your shirt. like Hashem's uh, throne. You know, like the kisei and all that. I would have brought along a picture. I didn't realize. Um, anyhow, so Moshe comes down with the luchos and they are broken. What happens? 
Moshe Rabbeinu then is going to turn around the next day, or the, or the following one, different Medrashim, and go back to heaven. And he's going to spend there 40 days, a second time for 40 days, um, beseeching Hashem for forgiveness. Because the Jewish people really messed up on this one. Um, in fact, Hashem initially said he's going to destroy them. And Moshe Rabbeinu is going to spend 40 days and 40 nights in heaven, davening, praying, and beseeching Hashem for the um, for kapara, for atonement for the Jewish people. And he comes back down. When does he come down? Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. No? No? No, no, no. no. You're already ahead. If you count, the 18th of Tammuz still Yom Kippur is not 40 days. It's like 82 days. Moshe Rabbeinu comes down, Erev Rosh Chodesh Elul, the last day of the month of Av, and tells the Jewish people, Baruch Hashem, you're, you're okay, We're, you're not being destroyed. We got to that stage. So the second set of 40 days is all about davening for forgiveness. And then he comes down. Then the next day he turns around and goes back up for a third set of 40 days. And that's the entire Chodesh Elul. Did he bring a Luchos down from the second no, time? No, there was no. The second time he came back with nothing. Nothing physical, nothing tangible. Just that Hashem has forgiven you and you won't be destroyed and that's it. It wasn't said, no, because the atonement wasn't yet complete, but at least it was stabilized. The relationship was stabilized. Right? Imagine a, a relationship that's breaking up and you stabilize it. That's number one. It does, it's not yet, you know, so... It's not, it's not gifts yet, it's not, we're not holding there, but it's not breaking apart. We're not killing each other anymore, right? So stabilize. That's what those, the middle 40 days stabilized our relationship. It brought us back on track. Now, Moshe Rabbeinu turns around on the first day of Elul and goes back up to heaven and spends another 40 days and now he's going to receive the second set of luchos. And that's going to be, and he's going to come down on Yom Kippur, and Yom Kippur is when Hashem says that the atonement is complete. And he famously says, Ayomer Hashem, Salachti Kidvarecha, I have totally atoned. In fact, on the eve of Yom Kippur in Shul, right after the Kol Nidre, we all say loud, Ayomer Hashem, Salachti Kidvarecha. We say that three times together, right after the Kol Nidre, because that's really when Yom Kippur became Yom Kippur. On that first year, when Hashem totally atones for the Jewish people, gives Moshe Rabbeinu the second set of luchos, and he comes down on Yom Kippur with that set, second set I of heard luchos. the second set was not sapphire. That's correct. The second set of luchos wasn't made in heaven. The second set of luchos, Moshe carved out an earth and brought it up the mountain with him. And Hashem inscribed the luchos. And that's a very basic difference. The first set of luchos were made in heaven. Moshe came, when Moshe went up the first time around, Excuse me, he didn't come up with anything. Hashem gave him the divine, the heavenly luchos. The second time around, those first luchos were destroyed. Yeah, but they still had the broken ones. Correct. Mm -hmm. broken ones that's correct. That's also. correct. And that's correct. But the second set, Moshe Rabbeinu carves, that, carves out, and this is all in the actual Chumash, Parshas Kisisa, where Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, he says, carve out luchos from a mountain. I don't know that we know which mountain and from where he carved them out. I don't know. Um, but he comes up with luchos, Hashem inscribes them with the Ten Commandments, um, which are basically identical to the Ten Commandments that were on the first luchos, and Moshe comes down with it on Yom Kippur. So, how long is from the giving of Torah till Yom Kippur? 120 
Well, it's a hundred and like twenty-three days because each one was a day up and a day down. I mean, to be exact, the Torah is given on the sixth of Sivan. Yom Kippur is on the tenth of Tishrei. Right, so you have Sivan, Tammuz, of Elul. We're talking about almost four months. Is that correct? Did I say correct statement? Yeah. Yeah, almost, almost. Uh, no, 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 four months plus. From the sixth of Sivan is like four months plus four days. That's exactly what it is. The sixth of Sivan to the tenth of Tishrei is four months plus three days. It included three periods of 40 days and 40 nights that Moshe is in heaven, plus the, when he came down and went up, Travel and a golden time. calf. I'm sorry? Travel time. Right. So it's, it's a long time. We're talking about four months. You have to remember, the, the Jewish people came out of Mitzrayim already in Nisan. So it's like, think from Pesach till Yom Kippur. <coughs> That's a full half a year. And they get to freak out, <coughs> they didn't freak out again, huh? I'm not sure about that. <laughs> and when you say that he was in heaven. Do you mean that? Did he go up to Shemayim? That's what it says. Yeah. That's what it says. Shemayim and Moshe Rabbeinu was the only human being in the Torah. I mean, we have many great, great tzaddikim, but of no other tzaddik does it say that he went up to heaven and didn't eat or sleep for 40 days and 40 nights and spent time with Hashem and the Malachim. That's Moshe Rabbeinu. But, the, but Shemayim in this case could have been the top of the mountain. We don't well, he wasn't seen. I don't know how high up you have to be in heaven, but definitely the clouds covered him, and he wasn't seen by the Jewish too. people. So no, where exactly he was, I don't know. But the Torah says, and Moshe tells the Jewish people, I was in heaven, I didn't eat, I didn't sleep. He lived a spiritual being. You know, about Moshe Rabbeinu, it's written in Tehillim, Tefillah Moshe Isha Elohim. And it says that he was, like a, a, he was a human being, he was born to a mother and a father, and yet he had that ability to be like an angel for parts of his life. So this is, this takes care of the first half a year of the existence of the Jewish people as a people. Right? We come out of Egypt on Pesach and we receive our luchos after all those steps on Yom Kippur. So was the second set then, it's carved out of a mountain, it was made of rock, of stone? Yeah, yeah, some type of stone, different mountains are different stones and there's marble Maybe also. I'm sorry? I'm just kidding. I thought, I think maybe color it was, so I was saying hematite was maybe gray. I'm just, I'm just making a comment. I have no idea. I have no idea. But um, either, although, though, again, I want to make sure that I'm being clear, it was carved out of the mountain, but not the words on the luchos. The stone was carved from the mountain. But Hashem carves out the, um, the writing. In fact, again, going back to that Mishnah and Pirkei Avos that I mentioned earlier, it talks about the miraculous things that are going to be throughout creation were created by Hashem in the moments before Shabbos, on the sixth day of creation. Right? So the Mishnah talks about, for example, the opening of the ground that's going to be in the time of Korach, Korach or the opening of the donkey's mouth in the time of Bilam. So there, there's three words. It says, Haksav, Vahamichtav, Vahaluchos. Three other things. The Ksav is the writing of the first Luchos. The Michtav is the writing of the second Luchos. The haluchos are the actual tablets of the first, oh. but not the second, because that was in a mountain, mm-hmm. right? So those three, the writing of the two luchos were done by Hashem, and the actual first tablets was God made, but the physical tablets, the stone, was rock or whatever, wherever Moshe Rabbeinu carved it out, but the Torah clearly says, Hashem tells Moshe, carve out for yourself from a mountain and bring them up the mountain, and there I will inscribe them. But there's two different words here. 
Ksav yeah. and Mikhtav. Different, different words. Right. Also, okay. So also they said uh, when it comes to Shabbos, one says Shamar and one says Zahar. Right. 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 See, it, it's a whole thing for itself. We can give a whole class on luchos. I don't want to go there. But I, in the Torah itself, the the luchos are the Ten Commandments are written twice. Right. We have the Ten Commandments are written in Parshas, the Torah portion of Yisro, um, which is when it actually happened, and then it's repeated in the Torah portion of Vaeschanon. In the book of Devarim, when Moshe Rabbeinu repeats a lot of parts of the Torah. So there, there are some minor nuances of difference, just wording, like Zachor and Shamor. Um, Which so, one was first, you know? I don't recall. So according to some, the two readings of the Aser Sadibros were written on the two luchos. Not, not all commentators agree with that. It's a question of debate. But either way, there was two luchos. Um, and you mentioned a correct uh, idea that in, what did they do with the luchos? Okay, they got the second set of luchos. Where were they kept? So they were kept in the Arun, in the holiest part of the Beis HaMikdash and the Ark, together with the broken pieces of the first luchos were also <coughs> in the Arun. So those divine made luchos, which is the first, were kept in the Arun alongside the the second set of luchos that was also kept in the Aron, this is these were considered the holiest possessions of the Jewish people. So now it's in the Vatican. No, I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> no, no not the luchos. No, maybe it's in the tunnels. No, the according to our according to our tradition of Gemara and Rambam, the Aron is in the The Aron is in tunnels under the Temple Mount, under the Harabites. Um, Ram, there was a king, a Jewish king, Yoshio, perhaps we'll get him at some point, and he actually, I mean, clearly it says that when Shlomo Melech built the first base of Mikdash, he put tunnels under the mountain for that reason, and it was later one of the Jewish kings, Yoshiyahu, who saw what was coming, and he had the Aron with the Luchos removed and put underneath. I thought that was after the Clark buys uh, Rishon, they did that. No, no, before, before. Ramam discusses when it was. Now, there are very likely artifacts of the Beis HaMikdash that are in the Vatican or other such places, but the Aron and Luchos, according to our tradition, is not there, but rather in the tunnels that are under the Harabais, under the Temple Mount. Okay, fine. So we're holding Yom Kippur. What do we have? Luchos. And what's on the Luchos? The Ten Commandments. That's it. We still don't have a Sefer Torah. You know, what we, when we look in our shul and we see a Sefer Torah in the Aron, we definitely did not receive that at the giving of Torah, and we also didn't receive it after the first, second, or third period of 40 days of Moshe Rabbeinu in the heaven. So what's next in the evolution, if you will, of the Torah that we received? So, after, when Moshe Rabbeinu was in the heaven for 40 days, what was he doing in heaven? He was learning. He was learning Torah with all different parts of the Torah. Um, primarily Torah Shabbat Peb, what we call the oral tradition, but we'll get to that. When Moshe comes down from the mountain, he spends then the next 40 years with the Jewish people in the desert. What are they doing for 40 years? Wondering. Okay. But they're learning. But what are they doing? They're not, tra- they're not like walking every day back and forth. They're not. I mean, some people think perhaps the 40 years, like gypsies, every week they move. That's not true. That's not true. The Gemara tells us, they, for example, for 19 years they were in one spot in the, in the Midbar. They traveled altogether 42 journeys. But many of them were the first year before Matan Torah, many of them were the last year. 
They weren't nomads. They weren't wandering every day. They were a nation of a few million people. And they had the greatest teacher on earth, Moshe Rabbeinu. And they learned. And he was teaching them the words of Hashem. During this time, Hashem was giving them mitzvahs. Vaidabar Hashem al Moshe Leimo. The verse that is most um, repeated in the Torah is... The, the, the verse most, the, the passage most repeated in the Torah is Vaidabar Hashem al Moshe Leimer. Hashem tells Moshe this mitzvah, Hashem tells Moshe that mitzvah, Hashem tells Moshe. All of those mitzvahs are throughout the 40 years of the desert. The day before Moshe Rabbeinu dies, or the day he dies, fast forward 40 years. Now it is the day before he dies. What day is Moshe Rabbeinu going to pass away? The seventh of other, right? The seventh of other, almost exactly forty years after Yitzhak Mitzrayim, right? Minus a month, or a month and a week to be exact, a month and a week to be exact. Moshe is going to pass away. The day that he passes away, or the day before, it's two opinions. Either on the seventh of other or the sixth, Moshe Rabbeinu completes writing the Sefer Torah. In the Gemara, there is a debate. There's two opinions. One is that he was working on it throughout, and he would write it piece by piece, and on this day he completed it. The other is that miraculously he wrote all of it on that last day. That's, that's an opinion, that's a debate that in the Gemara was not resolved. But either way, the first Sefer Torah we have is from that day. The day before Moshe Rabbeinu passes away, or the day of his passing, the seventh or the sixth of other. 40 years after you see Mitzrayim, at this point, Moshe Rabbeinu concludes and gives to Klal Yisrael the Torah. The Torah scroll, the Chamisha Chum Torah, the Torah scroll as we know it, as we have it. Yes? So how did, maybe you addressed this when I was in here, but how did, like, the Bnei Yisrael learn the Torah about themselves and, like, their future, if it says everything that's in it? Like, if they were learning the Torah... It was about... You're talking about when, during the 40 years? Yeah. No, they didn't ever learn anything that didn't yet happen. Um, they learned halachas. In the Torah, there is stories that happen. Those stories that happen, happen throughout the 40 years. They were learning the halachas of Shabbos. Most of the halachas come from the Chumash, is that correct? Or they come from uh, Ksuvim also, the Ksuvim also? I'll get to that in a moment. I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. So they never learned anything that was going to happen tomorrow. It wasn't yet given. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't necessarily know it. What happened tomorrow is going to happen tomorrow. It's going to be written as it's, as it's happening. But meanwhile, they're learning about how, all the halachas of Torah that Hashem already gave them. Right? Okay. Um, I'll get back to the question in a moment. Um, according to a amazing medrash, not only does Moshe Rabbeinu conclude on that day one Sefer Torah, rather he writes 13 Sefer Torahs. Wow. And gives one to each tribe, and one is in the Mishkan. One stays, the Chumash talks about the one that was in the Mishkan. That he says, take this Sefer Torah, put it in the Mishkan, in the tabernacle, as an aid, as a witness for Hashem's Torah to the Jewish people. But Rashi talks about this, and Chumash at the end of Chumash, that he actually didn't just write one, he wrote 13. And each Shevet, each tribe was given one Sefer Torah, and one was for the Mishkan, and that was as an aid for Kali Yisrael. Either way, that's when we got our Sefer Torah. So our Sefer Torah, which we call the Chamisha Chumshe Torah, which is also called 
Torah's Moshe. The Torah of Moshe is given to the Jewish people just as Moshe Rabbeinu is taken from the Jewish people. In a sense, it's even the continuation of Moshe. Right? With, um, Torah Tziva Lanu Moshe. Moshe is the one who gives us the Torah. He writes the Torah before he passes away, and then he passes away, leaving us with the Torah. Right? Moshe passes away on the seventh of Adar, followed by a 30-day mourning period. 30 days, as the Pasuk says, Vayifko also, that the Jewish people mourned Moshe, the greatest leader ever, for 30 days. 30 days later is the seventh day of Nisan. Hashem comes then to Yehoshua and says, prepare, because in three days you're crossing the Yardin, the Jordan, into the land of Israel. And it was on the 10th of Nisan, exactly 40 years minus four days from when we left Egypt that we crossed over into the land of Israel. Did they keep Pesach that year? They kept Pesach. But getting ready for it was really <laughs> very difficult. <laughs> Everything, new homes, a new place, a machaya. <laughs> <laughs> Had the appliances delivered during those years they were mostly learning you said Tosh about X. Yes. And then he gives them Tosh Exactly, exactly. They he was telling them different pieces of Torah Shiv is going on. Right? But what they were learning is the halachos behind that Torah. Right? Which we're again, which we're gonna discuss shortly. All of this is the five books of Moses. The Chumash, which is the highest level, so to speak, of the Kedusha of Torah. Even today, even halachically, for example, if you have on the table a Chumash, and you have a Mishnah, and you wanna, or a Shulchan Aruch, and you want to pile them up. So halachically, the Chumash will go on top. Because the five books of Moses the is the holiest Sefer that we have. It's the, it's the actual Torah Shebiksah. And it's, even though, I, I correct myself, Torah Shabbat the written Torah, also includes the books of the prophets and the writings, but in the prophets and writings alone, the five books of Moshe stand on a level all by themselves. Which brings me to what you just mentioned earlier. What's the clearest distinction between the five books of Moses versus the books of the prophets, or Tehillim, or Shmuel, or Holy Nevi'im? They weren't divinely given. They, they were. The prophecy is divine. Oh, there were oh, no halachas given from there, or there were? There's no mitzvahs there. The 613 mitzvahs are from Chumash. That's a very clear, extremely clear, distinguishing um, difference. All the 613 mitzvahs can only, must be found within the Chumash. So why is that a distinction from the Halacha? I'm sorry? Why is that a distinction from Halacha? Meaning? We got Halachas, we didn't get some from the other Chumash? There's different, all different types of Halachas. But as far as mitzvahs, there's 613 mitzvahs. Then there are certain takanos, there's institutions, there's gzeros. But the mitzvah, the 613 mitzvahs that make up the essence of the commandments of Yiddishkeit, they all come from the Chumash. So it wouldn't be anything like, um, like uh, Megillus Esther. Right, Megillus Esther is not one of the 613 mitzvahs. Right. Right? So, so Megillus Esther... More than 613 mitzvahs. Then. There's 613 Torah commandments. Then there's rabbinic enactments and rabbinic traditions and so on. And we have to we have a mitzvah to listen to the rabbis, which is fine. Uh, lighting Shabbos candles is a rabbinic commandment. It's not one of the 613 mitzvahs. Purim is a rabbinic commandment. Hanukkah is a rabbinic commandment. 
right? That's all rabbinic. They're, they're important and very important and powerful and spiritual and holy, etc., but they're not part of the 613 mitzvahs of the Torah because they come after the five books of Moshe. That's interesting. Okay, so that is part one. Again, the Luchos, which itself took four months to get, you know, to, to work out. As the, again, I, I'm, I'm being a drop repetitious over here because we go back to this question that whenever this question is asked, it always generates confusion. When did we get what? When did we get the Luchos? When did we get the Torah? So it's important to know. By Matan Torah, we just heard something. That's it. We didn't get anything. Forty days later, we almost got the first set of Luchos, but they were broken. Then we waited another 120 days. I'm, I'm sorry, another 80 days. Two sets of 40. And then we got the second set of luchos, which is the first thing that we got. So Yom Kippur is the first time we got anything, and that's the luchos. Then it's almost 40 years later that we received the Sefer Torah, which is the five books of Moshe, which was really we were getting in piecemeal throughout the 40 years. I mean, when you're reading the Chumash, you're really reading the story of the 40 years. At any point in the Chumash, you're in the middle of the 40 years somewhere. So that was coming as the time was going on. If you're reading Pasha's Balak and reading the story of Bilam, that happened during the 40 years. So obviously they didn't have that earlier, right? Um, the, the entire book of Devarim was Moshe Rabbeinu talking to the Jewish people in the last month of his lifetime. So that we didn't have that before that. Right? We only got something after it happened. So that's why, again, the Sefer Torah, the first Sefer Torah we received is at Moshe Rabbeinu's passing on the 7th of Adar, again, a month and three days before we're going to enter into the land of Israel. That's when we got our Sefer Torah. But then isn't it true that so many times during the Torah there's so many things that happen that there's no order of certain things that took place? That's so hard. It's like a, it could be, you know. Sometimes there, there is a rule, you're referring to the rule called Ein Muktam Umu'uchar B'Torah, which means sometimes you might have something in one parsha that really transpired before a different parsha. And that's correct. And that's there. it's written in that way for a reason. Typically, Rashi will tell us why it's done that way. Um, I don't know if it's a very frequent pattern in the Torah, but it definitely happens. It definitely happens. Because when Moshe Rabbeinu put it all together, he didn't necessarily put it together in the chronological order of the way that it happened. Um, for various reasons. Um, I think typically it is an order, unless it's pointed out that it's not, and typically a reason would be given for it. But that's a, that's a correct point. But that was prophetic. That was, that was prophetic of Avram. It says that Avram, it does say this, it says Avram did all the mitzvahs, and Yitzchak did the mitzvahs, and Yaakov did the mitzvahs. That was prophecy. You know, obviously, he was celebrating Pesach. Pesach is for leaving Egypt. They didn't have, they weren't in Egypt yet to leave it, right? So that, that was a different level of prophecy. Um, and that's not something that we can record in any way of how it was said. That's prophecy. Prophecy is prophecy. Do people in that generation that's a great question that's a great question um, I don't I can't answer it you know with full knowledge of what the level of memory was but people were right so there's a couple of answers to that first first of all many people okay so here's there's a few points to answer that question um, the first point the most important point is I don't really know but putting that point aside, a very good point was made. People wrote all the time. When we say Torah Shavuot wasn't written, it wasn't written as an official closed book. Notes people always took. 
They even find nowadays old notes of Torah that people took. And Rambam writes, talks about this, that people always wrote notes, but those notes were not allowed to be disseminated as official books of Torah. It was something private for me to remember. So that's one important point to mention, that even though there was nothing written for well over a thousand years, and we'll talk about that, nevertheless, privately, people had notes, and people were taking notes. That's an important point. The other thing is, um, just from a natural uh, way of... Um, point is that when you don't have writings, you memorize more, you exercise that talent more, right? The more you need to, the more we find that we're able to, right? Yeah, it's like directions. Today, no one knows that there's such a concept of knowing directions because there's no reason for it anymore because you have your phone or whatever. But um, some of us might remember taking down directions and actually trying to remember where something is. But that's neurological <laughs> They say that if you write Plasticity means you develop those parts of the... Yeah. So, so that's the answer yeah. to your question. Do they have better memories? They needed better you memories, write so they had something it. down, you remember it better, too. Oh, for sure. Okay. For sure. And when you speak it, you remember it. And when you're forced to remember it, you remember it. And when you're not forced... Today, most people, when they get into a car, have no clue where they're going, right? The phone will tell me. And how can I remember more than two blocks? But in the old days, people had to remember a little more. They had maps. They had maps. They did. They did. They did. Yeah, I remember triptychs. People used to memorize phone numbers. Everything. You know, the average person knew a 10 phone numbers by heart. And don't you still know phone numbers by Only the ones from them. But nobody knows their own children's phone numbers today. No, because you go on the phone and you just... This week is my uh, my Zadie's yard site coming up, Dove Bear, and I stayed in New York. I learned New York for six years as a student. He always would pick me up from the airport, always, 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 and always got lost on the way. Mm. Always, the, our trips were never less than two hours from the airport <laughs> to his house. It was that was just part of it, you know. We we just we went and we had tremendous conversations and great stuff. But we got lost, and then we would go to the gas station and ask for directions, and then we would get lost again. It was, it was part of the trip. The trip. Treasure trips. It very much so. Very much so. Yeah. But he, he never, he would always be there. He never wouldn't pick me up. And we always got lost. That's how it was. Okay. Anyhow, this is the five books of Moshe. After the five books of Moshe, we have the books of the Nevi'im and the books of the prophets. They, uh, I'm sorry, the Nevi'im, the prophets, and the writings. These are also called Torah Shebiksav. These, are, these were written, written down by the Nevi'im, and they're, they're divinely inspired, the prophecy from Hashem, starting from Yehoshua and going through the famous ones, or whether there's Shmuel or, excuse me, Yirmiyahu or Yeshayahu. These are, Melachim is the story of kings, but there's different Melachim, different, I'm sorry, prophets during the times of those kings, like Eliyahu and Avi and Elisha and, and, and Achia Hashiloni. And they wrote altogether 19 such books of prophecy. The 19 books of prophecy are written between the time of Moshe's passing until the building of the second base Hamikdash. These 19 books of prophecy are, are written, the, the period of time in which they're prophesized and written is from the passing of Moshe until the time of the building of the second Beis Hamikdash. 
So what was the last thing that they that was written? Who are the last prophets? Yeah. Haggai, Zechariah, the Malachi. The 13th, the Treasar? Yeah, the end of Treasar, yes. The end of the Treasar. Um, that's a long time. Like when we're talking from the end of Moshe Rabbeinu. Wow. Right? This, let's quickly run through years. I know numbers are, are never easy to remember, but let's just make a general picture here. Moshe Rabbeinu passes away, the Jewish people enter into the land of Israel. Right? We're going to be in the land of Israel how long before we build the first holy temple? Yeah, until David Until Shlomo. From entering into the land of Israel till Shlomo HaMelech builds the first base Hamikdash is 440 years. Okay, that's before the first base Hamikdash. Okay? The number 440, you know, this is good to do with, a, with some type of whiteboard or something, but it is 440 years period until they build the first base Hamikdash. Okay? No, I'm not going to use... At some point, we had her lines on the wall, <laughs> right? Right at the beginning. Painted, yeah. <laughs> 20 years, we'll paint again. Okay, <laughs> okay so then we'll do it. Um, then the first base Amikdash is going to stand for 410 years. The first base Amikdash. Okay? So 440 plus 410 is 850 years. The first base of Mikdash is going to be destroyed by the Babylonians, headed by Nebuchadnezzar. And the Jews are going to stay in Golos Bavel, in the exile of Babylon, for 70 years. Where am I holding? Uh, 40. You're holding by forum. <laughs> 920? 920, I think, right? Exactly, 920. 440 plus 410 is 850, plus 70 is 920. At this point... When the Jews are not going to build the second base on Mikdash, who's going to lead that building? Who's going to who's going to lead the Jewish people to build the second base on Mikdash? Yeah, no? No, 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 Ezra, Ezra and Nehemiah, Ezra and Nehemiah. And Yavesh is the one that gave them permission. This is correct. This is correct. Which was Esther's time. This is also correct. So Ezra and Nehemiah are then going to gather a group of great and holy rabbis and leaders. And this group is known as the Anshe Knesses Hagdola, the men of the great assembly. There is 120 members in this group of rabbis, of the Anshe Knesses Hagdola. They are going to be the leading group of rabbis of the time and one of the greatest courts of the Jewish people ever. 120 members, a number of them are prophets. Like, for example, the head is Ezra, who's also a Kohen, and Nehemiah. Who else is in that group? Mordechai from the Purim story. Oh, really? Yes. Daniel. Daniel. One second, he was still alive then, Mordechai? Sure. Why not? Yeah. It was a couple of years after. You just said that Esther's son was the one who was giving permission that time. Why yeah, not? Yeah, they said it was like, okay. A couple of years later, yeah. 20 years later. Well, last, 10 years later. It's right after the Purim story. Yeah. So Mordechai... It had to be 20 years because he had, he couldn't do it at 10 years old. He was very advanced from what I understand. Precocious. Okay, I don't know. But there you have, um, who else is there? Uh, Chagai, Zechariah, Malachi, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, 
As, were they there? I don't remember. I'm, you know, I'm not remember. Zerubbabel. Mm-hmm. All of these are men in that great group of the Anshe Knesset Agdela. They do a lot of special things to the Jewish people, the Anshe Knesset Agdela. For example, they put together the sitter, which kept us busy for the last two years, right? So <laughs> they did a lot of great things. One of the things that they did was they sealed the Tanakh. This book of Torah Shebiksav, which was being written till that point, really. Megillah's Esther was just written at that time. The and the book of Ezra, and the book of Nehemiah. At that point, they wrote the last books of Torah Shebiksav, and at that point is really the end of the era that we call the era of prophecy. So prophecy was with the Jewish people for a period of 920 years, and then you can add you know, the 40 years in the desert, Moshe. I mean, if you want to round it up to around 1,000 years, but it's a little less than 1,000 years. But this was the end of the era of prophecy, excuse me, where the Jewish people are going to be led by Nevi'im, by prophets, by people who their teachings are directly, divinely inspired in a way of prophecy. And being that this is the end of the era of prophecy, that's why this is also going to be the end of the books of the written Torah, which are primarily the last 19 books are books of prophecy. Um, very holy books, very great books. Amongst them, like Tehillim is part of that, and Shira Shirim is part of that, and all the books of the Nevi'im and the Lamentations of Ezra. All of that is part of these books of Nevi'im and Ksuvim. They knew prophecy was coming to an end at that point? It would seem so. It would seem so. What happened that Hashem stopped having prophecy at that point? Um, And that's a good question. Um, And I don't know the answer to that question. It's part of of the progression. There was great revelation, then there's Moshe Rabbeinu, the five books of Moshe, then there's a lesser level of revelation. Ultimately, Hashem wanted us to be able to find spirituality and holiness on our own, so to speak. No, it's not so divinely inspired like these great prophets who just spoke the word of Hashem. The ultimate um, purpose and goal is to have regular people and regular leaders who learn and understand and think and find Hashem um, using the tools that Hashem gave us, not in a directly prophetic way. It's almost like parents bring up a child and they tell the child everything and tell them and tell them, and at some point we want the children to be weaned and don't need me to call them up to say, to make sure to Whatever. Well, right? To internalize. I gave you what I had to now be a mensch on your own. And in a sense, in the bigger picture of history, that's what Hashem does. Initially, we have Moshe Rabbeinu just telling us the word of Hashem. You know, oh, you want to know? I'll ask Hashem. I'll get back to you in 10 minutes. Right? Which is what goes on in the Chumash. Mm-hmm. The Jews have a question. One second. Hold on. Hashem, tell them. Right? That's the ultimate level. But as we grew as a people, we need less direct divine guidance and, and interaction, and we're expected to understand and, and grow from what we've already been taught and given. So I think you actually see it as a does, but you're saying it's, it's really, you it, could look at it the other way. Exactly, Very exactly, exactly. In, independence, it has a Yurida aspect to it. It's always nice to be told exactly what's wanted for me right now. But really, maturity requires that I shouldn't be told what's needed for me right now, and I should learn how to make decisions. So there is a, a sense of yurida there, and there's an easier, perhaps, ability to make mistakes. But at the same time, the ability to make mistakes is part of growing up. If you don't have the ability to make mistakes, you never grow up. 
Maybe they're called learning experiences and not mistakes. That's also true. Hopefully. That's also true. said that like, there was always individual prophecy. Individual, right. The Rambam had That's it. correct. So and there's the era of prophecy as a whole, but there's the concept of Ruach HaKodesh, there's right. the concept of great tzaddikim who come and, and teach us. But in, in those era, it was a common thing. You had hundreds of prophets. Um, after that time, we're more of a you know, non-profit organization. <laughs> you get it, Mark. Um, okay. All of this that we discussed... Uh, what time is it now? Nine. Nine o'clock? Like three minutes to nine. Five to nine. Really? Oh, and we started at eight to nine as a class, right? I'm thinking it's still 9.30. Okay. Um, Fine. All of these writings, whether it's the five books of Moshe or it is the subsequent 19 books of Tanakh, is, as I've said this a number of times already, is called Torah Shabbat the written Torah. Why do we keep on saying the written Torah? They are straight prophecies, straight mitzvahs, straight commandments. The oral tradition is always the explanation behind it. Going back to the Chumash, we said, we said that a basic distinction between the five books of Moshe and the books of prophecy is Chumash is the mitzvahs, 613 mitzvahs. But how many words are there in the Torah for a mitzvah? A couple. Torah might say, keep Shabbos. How? What am I supposed to do? Rest. What does that mean? Don't get out of bed for the whole day? I mean, what's, what does it mean to keep Shabbos? No malacha. Um, okay, and what's called malacha? Creative act. And what defines what's a creative act? That's Torah Shabbat. Torah Shabbat is the explanation behind everything that it says in the Torah. Without Torah Shabbat, the Torah is an extremely closed book. Very few details and very few what exactly is wanted and how much and when and where and how and so on and so forth. Well, the Torah did say lo That's the only thing it says about Shabbos. The only mitzvah that one could point to about Shabbos is not to, to build a fire. All the other 39 malachos are not written in the Torah. This, so Rambam, you know, the Rambam, of course, is the one who wrote the most um, authoritative compilation of all the mitzvahs of the Torah. Before his book of Halacha, which is called Yad HaChazaka, he has a lengthy hakdama, a lengthy introduction. And in his introduction, he discusses the pirush, the explanations of Torah, the where, why, and how of Torah, and where it comes from. And what I'm going to try to cover with you over the next couple of weeks, is primary, was very much based on a lot of what the Rambam writes in talking about where it came from. But he starts off very conclusively by saying, when Hashem gave Moshe the Torah, there was two parts. There was the written word and there was the explanation. When Hashem gave him the explanation, he actually gave him a mitzvah. He says, this should not be written. We already discussed earlier today. It doesn't mean that one can't take notes, but it means that the transmission from generation to generation should be through teachers. Hashem wanted that the oral tradition should be transmitted through teacher by teacher, student, teacher, student. Meaning that in every generation there should be teachers, but ultimately one great teacher who is responsible for the transmission to the next generation. And an amazing thing that we have is a very exact recording of who were the transmitters of Torah, generation by generation. That's Pirkei Avis. The Pirkei talks about one section of that, and we're going to use that extensively in Mirza Hashem. Um, Pirkei Avis deals with one segment of that transmission, from the Anshik Nesses Agdola and onward. But we know from Moshe Rabbeinu, 
Who was Moshe Rabbeinu's primary disciple in charge of the system? Was Yoshua. But really, Moshe had three students. Uh, Moshe taught to 70 Zikanim, 70 elders, but he had three primary disciples. One who was going to be his successor, but three primary disciples, and they are going to be Moshe and Yehoshua, I'm, I'm sorry, Yehoshua and Elazar and Pinchas, who are all mentioned in the Torah extensively. And they are Moshe Rabbeinu's three primary disciples. I'm not counting Aaron. Aaron was not considered a disciple. Aaron was like Moshe's brother, a peer to Moshe Rabbeinu, though of course he was a disciple. But the three disciples that come after Moshe that Rambam talks about are Moshe's nephew, which is Elazar, his grandson, which is Pinchas, and his primary disciple, which is Yoshua, not a family relationship. This is Aaron's child? Elazar is Aaron's child. And Pinchas is Elazar's son. And Yehoshua is Moshe Rabbeinu's closest disciple. And after Moshe passes on, it's going to be Yehoshua who's going to be the next primary leader and primary teacher of the Jewish people. Um, Yehoshua is going to teach, again, many, many people. You have to remember, Moshe Rabbeinu spent his life teaching everyone. Everyone was really his students. He's a teacher or the leader? Both. Well, it's interesting that both. it's the same. Both. In that time, it, was, it wasn't lot, always the same. It's a lot to do. But in that time, it was the same. He's capturing the land also. Yeah, Moshe Rabbeinu had a big, big job. I mean, he didn't capture the land, Moshe. That's Yeshua. Yeshua. Yeah, Yeshua. Job. So Yeshua was capturing the land, but Yeshua was also the primary teacher of Torah in his time. I mean, he taught the Zikanim, and he continued to teach Pinchas, who was already a disciple of Moshe, but then later a disciple of Yeshua. And then that moved on. I'm just going to go one more step. The next great name that we know in that step, uh, in that step of uh, the giving over the teachings of the Torah, Shmuel. is before Shmuel, is Eli HaKohen. Eli the Kohen Gadol, who is Shmuel's teacher. Right? When Shmuel enters the picture, it's as becoming a disciple. Well, before a disciple, Eli is the one who gave the bracha to Hannah to have Shmuel. Right, that's the whole story with Chana and the Beis Hamikdash, and she doesn't have children, and she's crying. And Eli Hakohen, who's the Kohen Gadol, who's the, who's the Navi, is everything, and he gives Chana the bracha to Shmuel. When Shmuel is a young boy, Chana brings Shmuel, and he becomes Eli's primary disciple and ultimately his successor. So these are just the first steps of those who taught the Torah from those first I'm generations. I'm a little confused because the Beis Hamikdash was was around when Shmuel was. He this is not a base of Mikdash, it's the Mishkan. Mishkan. Mishkan sh- this is Mishkan Shiloh. This is Shiloh. This is before. Mishkan Shiloh stood for 369 years. It was a very long-lasting Mishkan. This is all before David and Shlomo come later. Right. So I guess we will pick up from here, Emir Sashem, next week, Monday night. Interesting. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you. One, two, three, four. Seconds up.